Yo, yo, everyone, this is Matthew Aaron, and I just want to remind everyone that ICO 101 podcast with Aaron Paul is going to start showing up in the Crypto 101 feed. So if you're looking at the new episodes and the logo is blue, that's Crypto 101. If the logo is orange, that's ICO 101 with Aaron Paul. I hope you listen to them both. I hope you enjoy them both. Please remember to subscribe to us wherever you enjoy your podcasts and leave us a comment and a rating. Thank you very much and enjoy ICO 101 with Aaron Paul. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to ICO 101, a Crypto 101 podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Paul. At ICO 101, we look at initial coin offerings, security token offerings, utility token offerings, and general crowd sale offerings from an average consumer's perspective. We preview pre and post sale offerings while engaging with the leaders of those companies in order to help you make an informed decision on how you want to participate in these tokens, securities, or initial coin offerings. Visit our website at ico101podcast.com. I'm also very active on Twitter, so please follow me there at SupAaronPaul, S-U-P-A-A-R-O-N-P-A-U-L. While you are there, follow the show at ico101podcast. Send me all the private messages you want. I love getting them, and I try to respond as fast as I can. For this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Seth Malamed, the Senior Vice President of COIN. In this episode, we talk about ICO Mission Control. ICO Mission Control provides a framework for companies who want to launch a token offering from beginning to end. This platform is live and working now. As you click through the links on the show notes, please know that as of this recording, ICO Mission Control currently lives on cryptos.com until liquid.com replaces both cryptos and coinex the rest of the links should be able to get you most of what you want to know about these guys i would encourage you to check them out i hope you enjoy the interview so without further ado please enjoy my interview with seth malamed seth malamed welcome to ico 101 Thank you, Aaron. It's a real pleasure to be here. And I'm sorry you are actually not here in our Tokyo office. Hell, me too, man. We will get there, though. Seth, you are the Senior Vice President of Operations at COIN. But COIN isn't the only company we're going to talk about in this conversation. You guys have COIN, Cryptos, COINX, soon-to-be liquid, COIN Mission Control. And really, the subject matter for today, I think we were going to talk about COIN Mission Control. But before we get into that, I really think we need to start from the beginning as to how COIN Mission Control even came to be. And I want to give the listeners a one-on-one on what Cryptos is, what COINX is, what Liquid will be. And then I want to tie all that into COIN. Does that sound good to you? Sounds great, Aaron. Cool, man. But before we get even into that... I want to know about you, man. Who are you? Where are you from? You reside in Tokyo, but you're not Japanese, I don't think. You, you picked up on that pretty well, Aaron. I got to give you credit. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not Japanese. I'm actually from Berkeley, California, but I've spent a big part of my sort of adult life overseas. But I, yeah, I grew up in Berkeley. I was in the Boy Scouts and... When I went to University of California, I actually studied Japanese as my minor. And uh, lo and behold, I really got into it. I learned a lot about Japan and Japanese. And my teacher at the time suggested that I come to Japan for a summer school session. And I actually went to a little fishing village up in Hokkaido called Hakodate, um, which is really famous for Ika, which is squid. Mm-hmm. And um, that kind of started my journey with Japan when I was um, 19 years old. How long ago was that? If you don't mind me asking, I'm not trying to call out your age. I'm just curious. This was in the mid to late 1990s, Aaron. Okay, well. So I'm, 
Yeah, I'm pretty old. I've been in Japan off and on for 10 years. Um, so I first came to Japan to work in the late 90s. And actually, what's what's interesting about that is when I came to Japan, I was working for Merrill Lynch. Um, this was when it was before it was part of Bank of America. Mm-hmm. And as it would have it, I was working in the technology division at, at Merrill Lynch. And the person sitting to the cubicle to my left was actually a gentleman by the name of Mario Gomez Lozada. So Mario Gomez Lozada is actually the founder of Coin. And so we've known each other for about 20 years and have been working with each other all that time. I actually left Japan in 2001. I went back to New York and continued on my career, but I always stayed in touch with Mario. And I guess last year, he actually asked me to come back and work with him again here at Coin. So you're a banker by trade, huh? That's right. I spent about 20 years in financial services industry. The past 11, I was at Goldman Sachs. So I was in a number of roles at Goldman from prime brokerage to operations. I spent a lot of my time focusing on payments and settlements. My most recent role was I was head of equity derivative settlements for the Americas at GS. So you don't have a tech background. How'd you get into cryptocurrencies? It's a really great question. So I think the story starts in 2014 when Mario actually sent me my first Bitcoin. I think at the time he sent me about $100 worth of Bitcoin. This is in 2014. And I actually looked at my wallet the other day. And even with the sell-off, I think that Bitcoin is actually still worth, you know, something like $2,000. It's kind of amazing. I I, I still haven't sold it. Give it to your daughter, man. Yeah, right. I think the story really starts for me was in 2014, I was actually working at Goldman Sachs. I was actually in Moscow, Russia. I was managing our liquidity and cash management business out there. And what happened was there was sanctions in Russia. And all of a sudden, business really slowed down. And we didn't have as many clients. We didn't have any many trades. So I had a lot of time on my hands. And so it really started with Mario sending me that first Bitcoin. And that kind of launched my journey into learning about blockchain, about distributed ledger, about encryption. So I really got into it. I started attending conferences. This is, remember, you have to go back 2014, 2015. Mm -hmm. I started buying Bitcoin and Ethereum. Back then, I think Ethereum was like five, seven dollars. So it's pretty incredible what's happened since then. I took these, these online courses about cryptography, Dan Bono's class at Stanford, and I took the, the Princeton course um, about blockchain. So I really started learning, getting into it. And into 2015-16, I, it became an obsession. So I started creating my own proposals for settlement of foreign exchange transactions on a blockchain. Um, I started pitching it to partners and managing directors at Goldman Sachs, and people frankly thought I was crazy, but um, I was hooked. There's this limited belief that you can't be in this space if you don't have a tech background, but you got into it without a tech background and you did and you learned how to do whatever it is you learned in, in at these courses. I'm not even familiar with them. So did you learn coding? Did you learn some programming? What did you learn there? How fast did you learn it? And how has it helped you understand the blockchain as it is today? I don't think there's any shortcuts, right? I mean, I approached it as a project that if I were to solve a problem that I had in my work, um, for instance, when I was at Goldman Sachs, I was settling trades and making payments, and I approached it to the extent of, well, what if we were to do the same business process but using blockchain technology? How would it look? What did you learn at those courses, though? I mean, did you have to have a programmer's background to learn how to do anything in blockchain? 
to understand how it works, you certainly do not need to be a programmer. You just need to have an open mind. There's lots of videos out there on YouTube. There's lots of online courses. I mentioned a few of them. Coursera has some great offerings. It's really just a will and an open-mindedness. The other big factor for me was around 2015, I started attending lots of conferences and just sitting down with people, people in the blockchain space, whether they're, you know, they're a developer or they're, they're a marketing person, people are so enthusiastic about the topic that they're more than happy to educate you. So mm-hmm. I know nowadays things are a little bit more commercial than when I first started getting involved, but there's still a lot of people that are more than happy to take you on that journey to, to educate you and, and so you can learn. Yeah. Here's one pro tip I really think people might find interest in, right? So you can get a wallet, um, and there's many wallet providers in the world, and, 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 and fund it. And then send a very small transaction of Bitcoin to a friend, right? And then what you can do is you can take the transaction hash and go to a website website like, I don't know, blockchain.io, or, and you know look up that transaction on the blockchain and see that transaction reflected, see the different nodes and the confirmations and see what, you know, what the fees are. And it's really a great way to discover. The other thing that I did that was very helpful for me is, you know, I dabbled in mining, right? But I didn't actually buy the gear, the ASICs or whatever. Uh I just, I did some cloud mining and just, it was a process of discovery that, you know, you, you don't have to start big, but you could just start with, you know, a hundred bucks and it'll really be helpful once you sort of have skin in the game yeah. and you start getting involved in it. Very cool tip. I appreciate you saying that. And I hope anybody who's listening does just that. It's that simple. You've been buddies with Mario for a while. He says, hey, man, you got to come. We got some big things happening. You had a look yep. at it and you're like, I'm gone. I'm going yep. to coin. Um, yep. So before we talk about coin, though. Uh, let's talk about cryptos real quick and let's talk yeah. about CoinX because sure. I honestly only really use Coinbase as my fiat on ramp. Yep. I use Bittrex and Binance. They're my go-to exchanges. I don't like Bittrex yep. at all, but I've used it. And I honestly didn't know who you guys were, rookie, I guess, before I started researching you. And as soon as I started researching you, I signed up for my cryptos. I signed up for my CoinX. I didn't get verified yet before we could speak, but your user interface on both sites is really nice and everything has been really easy to use so far. So I'm really looking forward to using you guys. But for our 101 listeners like me, can you give them a quick 101 on what are these two companies? Uh, What's the difference between the two? If you want to talk about Liquid real quick, because I know we're going to talk about that on a separate episode, but how those two are going to be married and how the baby comes looking like Liquid. Let me just give it a quick overview to sort of lay out the foundation here. So we have two main exchanges here at Coin, right? The first is called Cryptos. Cryptos is a crypto to crypto exchange, meaning you can trade any number of, and I hate to use the word altcoins, but let's call it lower cap cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. And we currently have, I guess, around 90 different currencies available on the Cryptos exchange. And they're trading against the major cryptos, such as Bitcoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash, right? And Cryptos is really a global platform where participants from all around the world can join. However, we do not allow participants from Japan, where we're headquartered, to participate in Cryptos. And and I'll get back to that. So the second major platform we have is called CoinX. So CoinX is a crypto versus fiat exchange. And this is where we offer a limited number of major cryptocurrencies, Ripple, Bitcoin, Ethereum, 
Bitcoin Cash trading against fiat currencies, so euro, dollars, and Japanese yen, okay. right? And so we actually have a product roadmap, and by roadmap, I don't mean 2020 or what have you. I mean within the next weeks or possibly a month or two, where we're going to be merging the Cryptos platform into CoinX, and it, the two platforms will be converged into something called Liquid. Mm -hmm. And Liquid is introducing a whole host of really exciting and innovative technologies as part of this convergence. So again, cryptos, crypto to crypto only trading available to global participants. Coinex is a crypto to fiat, limited number of pairs, limited number of cryptos that are available. And we also restrict certain countries for participation in the fiat market. Specifically, we don't let U.S. residents participate simply because we're not properly licensed to operate fiat currencies with U.S. residents. And then finally, you know, I guess one of the main points talking today is our ICO mission control and our ICO platform, which is just launched. It's it's a little over a month old, but it, it's incredibly exciting platform, and we can't wait to introduce it to the wider community. I got a couple quick questions about the other two platforms. Number one, and you did mention some licensing uh, issues, but you guys. Mm. The fiat pairs for, for Coinex is you got the yen, the U.S. dollar, you got euro, Hong Kong dollar, Singapore yep. dollar, Philippine pesos, Indian rupee. Can, yes. can a Filipino, for example, who has Bitcoin pull out Filipino peso? We can support that. Huh. That's awesome. I, I've, I did not know that. What are the limitations from country to country there? Let's focus on the U.S. because I suspect a lot of your listeners are, are U.S. residents, but and we'll, we'll touch on other countries. So essentially to operate in the U.S., for example, there are an extensive set of licensing requirements that we would need to complete before we can offer fiat currencies to U.S. residents, okay. specifically a money transfer business license, uh, an MTS license, and a FinCEN license. And on top of that, there's probably state-by-state -state requirements that we would have to fulfill in order to serve U.S. clients with fiat. Right. So, you know, while Coin is a really fast-growing and important part of the cryptocurrency ecosystem, we're not yet ready to invest in all those licensing regimes in the U.S. So we take a very simple approach that we simply do not allow participation in our fiat exchange, CoinX, by U.S. residents at this time. Now, we have some really interesting partnerships that I can't talk about here and now, but we're working with some um, U.S. partners where we're going to, in, I expect within a reasonable period of time, six months or less, that we're going to be able to offer U.S. residents a gateway into our fiat exchange as well. Fantastic. All right. So let's talk about ICO Mission Control. What's the problem that Mission Control is looking to solve? What's unique about Mission Control? ICO Mission Control is an end-to-end -end solution for token issuers and token buyers, bringing them together in a secure, transparent, and really well-controlled environment. What do I mean by that? So if you look at the problems you have in the current ICO market, there, there's, there's numerous issues. Number one, the first issue I think that we're trying to solve is that these blockchain teams that are conducting an ICO, the ICO is really important for the project. I would say it's necessary, but it's not actually adding value to the project in terms of solving the problem that they're attempting to, to solve. So 
the capital raising process is definitely necessary, but it's certainly not sufficient. And what I've seen is a lot of project teams spend enormous resources, and maybe the average consumer isn't aware of this, but I know this for certainty, that the average project team will spend enormous management resources, economic resources, deal with multiple vendors, all for carrying out an ICO, which is a one-time event, which hopefully they never repeat. And they do it for one purpose, to, to raise funds and then to to move on to what their real mission is, which is developing a blockchain protocol and solving real world problems using blockchain, right? right? The main thing we're trying to do with ICO Mission Control is compress time. So we're removing a lot of the administrative functions that blockchain teams are having to do and we're letting we're helping them by letting us do these administrative functions, which is a core expertise of coins, and let them do what they do, which is innovating in the advertising space, or you know, finding a new payment solution using a blockchain, or all kinds of wonderful creativity that these different projects are doing. One thing that horrifies me is talking with one of the CEOs last year about their ICOs, even the CEO level, he was actually comparing selfies with passport copies and checking if they were actually the same. And this is nonsense. We are eliminating this from the process. Another thing that, you know, ICO Mission Control is really trying to disrupt is sort of the uncertainty of participation in an ICO that token buyers always experience. Actually, to take a sidetrack here for a minute, if you were to go to Telegram today and you were to remove all of the messages on Telegram that said, where's my token? I guarantee you the amount of messaging on Telegram would be lower by 40%, right? Like it's it's crazy how much of this sort of uncertainty and doubt and sort of non-value added communication is going on. For sure. With ICO Mission Control, we deal with this elegantly without any question. So when you join an ICO on the platform, a participant, it's very simple. They deposit crypto to their wallet, they participate in the ICO, and their tokens are received in their wallet in probably about 20 to 30 milliseconds. That's it. There is no more uncertainty. There's no more waiting for the tokens. There's no more hackers intermediating between the token issuers and the token buyers and and tokens being sent to my Ether wallet and they need to use MetaMask and you know a five-page instruction manual to gather tokens. Uh-huh. That is completely eliminated with our solution. Another important thing that we're addressing here with the ISO image control is we are offering a clear pathway for secondary market trading. So again, another uncertainty that, that token buyers have is, well, if they participate in the ICO, they don't know where that token's gonna be listed, when it's gonna be listed, et cetera. I actually read that something like 60 to 70% of all the ICOs in the world um, and all the tokens that are completed, they're still looking for an exchange where they can be traded. Mm-hmm. We're addressing that from day one. There is an explicit understanding and agreement between ourselves and our partners that are, that are doing the ICO that their token upon completion of the ICO, will be listed on our exchange. That's awesome. So can you give me some examples of administrative functions that you guys would streamline that's going to be beneficial for an ICO? 
a number of things. So again, we talked about the KYC example. Yeah. Coin, as a, one of the largest cryptocurrency exchanges in the world, we've invested heavily in our onboarding process, right? We do this at scale, it's a core competency for us. So we can now actually onboard and KYC a new account in a minute or less. And Aaron, if you haven't tried it, please go for it. When you provide your a selfie, a valid government ID and proof of address, you'll get your account verified in a minute. A project team, a standalone ICO, they very difficult for them to replicate that ease of use and speed for their community in terms of having them verified. Another key issue that we're solving for is um, we can we help with AML. So we can help to establish provenance of funds and that, for instance, if you think about the entire ICO process, when the ICO is completed and the project team has raised X amount of crypto, they actually need to convert that into fiat and eventually they need to deposit it into a bank account where they can you know, pay the rent, pay the salaries of the blockchain engineers, do all the things that they really set out to do to develop their project. When, when the projects partner with us, we offer a clear path to doing, for instance, converting the crypto into fiat currency. We can then help them to wire their funds to their bank account. And importantly, the banks actually ask the question, what is the provenance of these funds? And we can demonstrate to their bankers that in fact, all the contributions and the funding came from known sources. There's no money from Osama bin Laden or Pablo Escobar. These are all people that have been verified and we can demonstrate that to the bankers. So we solved that problem. Another key issue that we solved, probably one of the most important things we solved for is you know, the distribution of tokens. So like I said, a lot of times the blockchain projects, they're developing and they're hiring engineers and consultants that are only doing really one thing, is to distribute the tokens to the buyers. Right. They've invested in this infrastructure that's really completely throwaway work they'll never use again and probably has little value add really at all anyway. So when they use our platform for conducting ICO, there's no need for smart contracts. There's no need for any of that infrastructure. Like I said, when the buyers buy the token, it gets credited to their account right away. Now, I could do the KYC portion on both Cryptos and CoinX. Mm -hmm. When Coin launches, because I didn't see anything where I could do that at Coin, will those automatically be converted over into Coin so I don't have to do it a third time? Or will I have to do it a third time? And once no. it's done, <laughs> all the ICO, let's just say you have 10 ICOs in the next 10 weeks, right? Sure. And I did my KYC with you guys I only have to do it one time and then I can keep participating in the ICOs. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. And in fact, you only need to do your KYC one time. So currently we're hosting all of the ICOs on cryptos. And okay. once you're verified, you can participate with all of the ICOs, right? Okay. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. So another key issue that we're solving here is we help the token projects really set up um, both a private sale and a public sale. Mm -hmm. So we just introduced a private sale feature um, about three weeks ago. And what this is, is sort of a curated environment where token issuers can create an environment where only sort of um, the larger purchasers or the larger size investors, they're really committing large amounts of capital in the ICO. Mm -hmm. And they can use the private sale room to conduct those sort of bespoke transactions. From the public sale standpoint, we help them literally with clicking a mouse, set up different phases of the public ICO. So they can set up the ICO to start, for instance, from July 2nd to run to July 12th with a 30% bonus. They can determine how many tokens are available at that sale. And you know, once those tokens are sold out, we can immediately roll into the next phase, so phase two, where X amount of tokens are available. The discount is actually 15% in the second phase. And none of this needs to be done via custom programming or, or um, blockchain engineers. We all do it via point-and-click GUI interface. I would say one of the most important innovations that we're bringing to the ICO space that really is unique to COIN and we're finding very helpful for both token buyers and token issuers is we've added in a very interesting mechanism for hedging the FX exchange risk that's inherent in volatile cryptocurrencies. What do I mean by that? So for instance, as a token issuer, you can set your token price to be exchanged at say 20 cents for, for one Aaron token, okay? However, that, the contributor- token, Aaron token. Yes, I'd like to get some myself. Patent pending. Uh, okay, so, so one Aaron token is being sold for 20 cents on the platform. Now, the, the pricing can be fixed to a US dollar um, rate, but your token contributors can actually purchase those tokens using Bitcoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash, or our cash token. And what happens is as the 
dollar Bitcoin exchange rate changes, the amount of contribution required to purchase the same amount of Aaron tokens will change over time. That means if you have a very bearish market like we've seen recently with Bitcoin, that in Bitcoin terms, the contributors will actually have to you know, contribute additional amount of Bitcoin to purchase the same amount of tokens. Right. Of ICO. Conversely, if Bitcoin were to increase in value, the amount of contributions in Bitcoin terms will be less because Bitcoin is appreciated in value. So what we're finding is that this is stabilizing the ICO and really giving certainty of value exchange between the token buyers and the token issuers. The reason why we can do this is because our ICO platform sits on top of one of the world's most powerful cryptocurrency exchanges in the world. So we can reprice the tokens every three seconds based on current foreign exchange rates. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Aaron, and I'm here to tell you about our YouTube channel, Crypto 101 with Matthew Aaron. And the reason why we're doing this YouTube channel is because, well, we heard your feedback. Some people really like listening to stuff on YouTube. So all the audio podcasts are going to be posted on YouTube. Also, we're going to do previews and roundups of each episode. The previews are going to tell you about how we got to doing this topic, talking to these individuals, and where this interview came from. And the roundups are going to give you my personal opinions on the projects, the people, and, well, some commentary. And the reason why we're doing this is because we never want you to feel that we're shilling a certain project. I want you to get my personal opinions, honestly, openly. So, please, subscribe to Crypto 101 with Matthew Aaron on YouTube and enjoy. Comments are always welcome, and please, let us know how we're doing. Now, back to the show. At Crypto 101 Media, we have hundreds of thousands of listeners and guaranteed out of those listeners, there are companies listening to this right now and they're ready to launch an ICO or wanting to launch an ICO really soon. Can you, with all that said, walk them through the process from beginning to end and talk about what a successful ICO launch looks like? So. What do they do? How do they contact you? And then who's going to contact them back? What questions are you going to ask them? What is the vetting process? Is there a vetting process that they need to be prepared for? Right? How do you filter bad actors? And then, you know, are you guys going to show them a cost analysis of where they're going to save money, et cetera, et cetera? And then what does a successful launch look like to the client? To me, we look, we have extensive due diligence. We've adopted a model of something I learned at Goldman Sachs in, in, in my career there. You know, after the financial crisis of 2008, there was a lot of soul searching within the firm and really within the entire financial services industry about how did we start trading these CDO squared, these complex mortgage-backed security packages that really no one understood, no one knew what they were. And, you know, even at, at Goldman Sachs, where we were relatively less impacted than many of our other, you know, colleagues on the street. But at the end of it, we came up with this this concept of the new product committee. And the, and the goal of the new product committee was to really evaluate new products from a 360 perspective, from a compliance perspective, from a risk management perspective, from disclosure perspective. Can we trade it and risk management? Can we book it in our systems? Can we settle it? 
And we would evaluate it, you know, from this 360. And if all stakeholders within the firm were comfortable with this new product, only then could we sell it to our customers, right? And it did a lot to really um, improve the soundness of our business process. We've taken that model and we've adopted it with very little changes here at Coin. Instead, we now call it the Token Listing Review Committee. Okay. And this committee meets every Wednesday. And what we do is we review the tokens from a 360 perspective. From a technology perspective, we take a look at is the source code up on GitHub? How many blockchain engineers are on the team? Where is the, you know, the code in terms of testnet versus mainnet? From a business development standpoint, we look at the most important factor is we look at is there utility for that token? At Coin, we are here for one main purpose to help bring crypto to the mainstream. And the best way we can do that is to help projects that have solutions that are blockchain-based that are have utility today. We are not speculative exchange. There's plenty of people out there that fill that corner. Mm-hmm. We're on the corner of bringing solutions to consumers and investors that actually have real utility, if not today, in the very near future. So that's one of the most important gatings that we use. Is there token utility now or within the immediate future? If the answer to that question is yes, we can always continue the discussions. But back to the token list and review committee. So from a marketing standpoint, we look at what is the social media um, impact? What is the size of the community of that token project? We do background checks on the founders and we find some very interesting things about some of the people. Sure. Um, and we also look at it from a legal standpoint. At this stage in our life cycle and where we're at, we're only onboarding utility tokens. You know, I know securities tokens are a big topic, a whole nother podcast for sure. For sure. But where we are right now, it's about utility tokens, right? So we evaluate the legal um, opinion that we get from the token team and, and we do our own analysis if this would fit under our framework of being utility. We look at it from an operational standpoint. Is the is this a token that we can integrate with our exchange? Can we manage the withdrawals and the deposits effectively? So again, it's a 360 and at the end, the token listing review committee will either give us an approval or a rejection of of whether we can continue on with this listing. So to be honest, we actually reject more projects that that approach us than we actually go ahead and work with in a partnership. So that said, we are here to serve creativity and bring innovation to the masses. As a consumer, somebody who wants to participate in ICOs, that makes me feel very confident that you guys did a lot of the research for me. Your methodology or the token listing review committee, I didn't see any of that when I was doing my research on your guys' website. Is there somewhere where that's going to be posted? Are the consumers going to get that? So there's two things that are happening. And again, I just want to stress, Aaron, we, we just launched ICO Mission Control in May of this year. So it's really in its infant stage, right? So what are we doing? We're actually, we're approaching this in two different ways. Number one, we're bringing transparency to our process. And we'll be posting on our website the details of how our token listing review committee actually operates. Further, we're actually going to publish the names of the people and they're going to speak about how they evaluate the token. These are the, you know, the core people of COIN, including the senior management team of how we look at these tokens. The second thing that we're doing is we realize that our due diligence is enhanced by partnering with really wonderful analysis that's done outside of the firm. Now, I'm not going to name names for their sake, not for mine, about some of the websites where every ICO, it gets five out of five reviews. No, we're not doing that. Here's what we're doing. 
I've worked with many different VC funds and different advisory firms that providing true independent advisory services. We are paying for the research out of our own pocket for independent third-party research, which will be published right on the ICO landing page. And we will make that available to the token buying community. We are going for full transparency here. And we think that we serve ourselves and our clients by bringing unbiased research to people and they're going to have all the tools available to make good de- good decisions. You know, this is definitely coming, um, I'd say, within the next month even. Um, I've already been looking at the designs for it, for the, you know, the new user interface where we're going to include that research and we'll have a dedicated page discussing our token listing review process and committee. I think that's amazing. And as the average consumer, I feel a lot better knowing that there is this process and this transparency and somebody else doing the due diligence. Of course, you should verify your own research, but certainly a company with the experience that you guys have can do the due diligence much better than I can. So that's awesome. How do you see the future of coin? Because right now I feel like I'm looking at a full service (laughs) crypto company. And I don't think I've seen that in this space. I'm not saying that there aren't other companies out there. So if I get Twitter, people saying, look at these companies. I don't know that I've seen it. I can or will be able to launch my ICO from start to finish on your Mm -hmm. exchange. Mm -hmm. I'll be able to get it listed immediately on an exchange. And then I'll be able to on-ramp fiat currencies to cryptocurrencies and use, using your guys' company, crypto to crypto exchanges. So what can't I do yet that I will be able to do really soon? And what's the future look like for you guys? I mean, you guys have a lot of great things happening. Absolutely. And, and we're working really hard and we're really excited about our approach to the capital raise process. And, and that's exactly right. We think a liquid is a whole nother topic, but we're going to be moving our ICO platform as part of our liquid as well. And we think that ICOs and utility tokens is just the starting point for where the industry is going. Right. But I also want to talk about kind of some sort of more short-term and and midterm goals that we have. Another real problem that I think I am obsessed with dealing with is the sort of the lack of governance in the ICO space. Mm -hmm. It's a huge problem. Yes. If you go up, what you'll see is something like 90% of the tokens that get listed on an exchange, unless there's some pump and dump and something like that, it's some sort of scam. What you'll see is those tokens are almost always underwater. We are trying to move the needle with this dynamic. And let me tell you how we're doing it. Number one, we are focusing on projects where there is a near-term end-user demand for that token, right? So we are staying away from the long end of the tail, the long end of the curve of projects that won't have a utility for many months. There's plenty of forums for them to, you know, conduct their, their ICO and do listings on other exchanges that can serve that segment. We're focusing on utility today. Another important technology approach we're taking, which is, you know, what you often see in the ICO market is that certain investors get these really big bonuses, especially in the private market, or you have these massive airdrops. And what happens on day one, these people dump their tokens on the average, you know, participant in the ICO. Yes. This drives me nuts. Mm -hmm. And we are going to change the needle. We're going to change the dynamic. How are we doing this? We're actually implementing locking periods 
for the private sale buyers. And what we're saying is the following. You can participate in the private sale and you'll have access to larger discounts and bonuses that would definitely come naturally to someone who's making a large scale investment in the project. However, that bonus period, that bonus amount that you are getting access to, that bonus is going to be locked up. And it's going to be locked up for a minimum of, let's say, six months, right? What that means is that when the token finally goes listing on the exchange, there will be much less supply of tokens out there. And the chances for that token to actually appreciate in value is much better than what you'll see in in your average ICO today. And we're really trying to solve that problem of people being worried that their hard-earned capital is immediately going to be underwater by 3-4x um, as soon as the listing happens. This is not why we're here, and we're going we're to address this problem in an elegant way by locking up these bonuses. We're also taking a very hard line about airdrops because in some ways airdrops means one thing. It means the depreciation of value for the token holders that actually purchase the tokens on mm-hmm. um, the ICO. For sure. I did a podcast episode on the Jobs <laughs> Act, which was a significant <laughs> law passed in the Obama administration mm-hmm. regarding governance of crowd sales. I'm yep. not sure if you're familiar with it or not. And in that... One of the things that you discussed it already, the utility side versus the security side, right? And mm-hmm. it clearly addresses that. What is this, it defines what a security is. You have a lot of companies, a lot of coins out there, a lot of utility coins posing as utilities when they really are securities. There's no getting around it. Mm-hmm. And another thing is that when an ICO is talking about what are they going to do with the funds, it's, you get a little pie chart, a little breakdown of, oh, X percent is going to go here, X percent is going to go to the founders. It's a laughable financial statement that the average consumer gets. Are you guys, as part of your due diligence process, going to ask for more information on that and force ICOs that want to be on your platform to disclose what they're going to do with the money that they're going to raise? And are you going to force them to make sense of the valuation that they have for that project? Because you already said you're going to look at the marketing, you're going to look at their communities, you're going to make sure that they have a viable project. Are you going to ask for some of these additional things? Or I don't know if I really want to ask it as an additional thing, but are you going to demand some of these questions from these companies? Yes. It's part of the transparency that we're providing to the token buyers that in our next iteration of our release coming out later this month, we will provide the information provided by the project team about where the funds that they receive uh, during the ICO are going to be applied. Now, this is, you know, this is information provided by the project team. So there's a certain amount of faith that the that the token buyers have to believe in in how the project team will 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 handle the funds but do believe in that transparency and and, you know as part of the third-party research you know one of the things that that our research providers are providing is really what is the operating history of the teams because most of these guys um, you know, they've been involved in, 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 in the industry where they're doing the project for quite a while. And these people have track records. And we believe that the third-party analysis will also be an, an important view on the viability of the project, of the tokenomics, if it makes sense from a business standpoint. 
And really, if the team needs as many funds as they claim to need to execute on their on their process. So the answer is yes, we will provide that right on the landing page. It's not there right now, but it's in our next release that's coming later. And token buyers will have full visibility on what the plan use of funds is. How many ICOs do you guys have in the pipe right now using Mission Control? Can you discuss that? Yeah. Yeah. So actually, if you go to cryptos.com right now, we actually have uh, four ICOs that are running. We're really excited about these projects. And what I can tell you is we actually have a queue of 20 ICOs that are actually just waiting to get launched on the platform. Wow. The, The interest has been off the charts. And we have some of the most exciting projects in the world that are doing actually a portion of their ICO with us. And there'll be exclusive offers only available to coin clients that participate in the ICOs on our platform. I think that you guys have a great project. I really do. And as somebody who looks at ICOs all the time for this podcast, I just think that this is this is phenomenal. So I appreciate you guys. And I hope we can get some of your clients on here. And I'm looking forward to getting you back on to talk about Liquid when the time comes. But before we close, is there anything else you want the listeners to know? Coin has a sole mission, which is to bring the democratization of cryptocurrency to the people. We want to become a trusted partner for people participating in the cryptocurrency markets. And that's why we're here. We're in it for the long haul. We believe in regulation. We believe in transparency. And we believe in in giving our stakeholders a fair deal. So we're not here for the short run. There's no Lamborghinis. There's no trips to Monte Carlo. What there is is quality projects and a dedicated team that's really driven to serve this new blockchain economy. Awesome, man. And if they want to join or they want to get a part of your guys' community, where can they go? A great starting point is going to coinex.com. That's www.quoinex.com. And right there, you know, you'll see everything you need to know. For project teams that are looking for um, a platform such as ours, they can very simply send an email to listings at coin. Dot com. That's Q-U-O-I-N-E dot com. And either myself or someone on my team will, will come back to you. You can even actually, if you want to even go a step further, you can actually just create a corporate account on Cryptos and get your account verified. And you can actually apply to conduct an ICO online, right? We've made the process frictionless. And so once your corporate account is verified, you are presented with a menu option to apply for an ICO on the platform. And you can submit all the information that we need to do our due diligence, which is indeed extensive. But, you know, that's an important part of our onboarding process. We'll receive the request and and we'll arrange for a call to take you through the next steps. Seth, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much for being on. And I hope to get you back on really soon. Great. It was my pleasure, Aaron, and I'm glad we had the opportunity to tell our story to your audience. That's awesome. Thanks very much. Yo, yo, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, then check out the links on the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to ICO 101 Podcast by going to the Crypto 101 Podcast feed that is found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and CastBox. And please leave a positive review. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at SupAaronPaul. And don't forget to follow the show as well at ICO 101 Podcast. Until next time, 
Peace. Mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.